It's April 25, 2013, in Simanchalam, Germany. We're looking at the nine processes devotion, becoming Krishna's friend. Becoming Krishna's friend. We should start by saying that Rupa Goswami gives 64 items of devotional service in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And these can be categorized by things like body, mind, and words, or they can be categorized by seeing, smelling, tasting, like that. And one can also, of course, categorize the activities of bhakti into the nine processes, which are what? Sakyam, Vedanam. So this is Sakyam. This is becoming Krishna's friend. So becoming Krishna's friend is looked at as a process. Another nice forest garland. A process of sadhana, of practice. So this is, there's a difference between the process, the sadhana practice of being Krishna's friend, and when we talk about those who are Krishna's friends as their rasa. Just like also we have one of the nine processes is dasya, becoming Krishna's servant. But that's not understood in exactly the same way as those who have that as their rasa. You follow what I'm saying? Like we're all Krishna's servants. And there's a particular anga of bhakti where we're acting as servants. But there's also people who have their eternal rasa as Krishna's servant. So we're going to look first at Sakya as a process of practice, as a process of sadhana bhakti that has two divisions. And then we're going to look very briefly at Sakya as a rasa, as a saibhav of the liberated soul. Okay? Is that clear? All right. So now we're looking at Sakya in terms of one of the processes of sadhana bhakti. And this has two divisions. So the first is vishvasa. Now the word vishvasa, Prabhupada says, means to have strong faith or confidence in the Lord as one's benefactor. So really this vishvasa is I'm seeing the Lord is my friend. That's sort of the essence of Sakya in terms of Vishvasa. The Lord is my friend. He's my benefactor. So generally in English when we say someone is our benefactor, we mean someone who gives us things. If you say this person is the benefactor of the museum, that means he gives a lot of don he or she gives a lot of donations to the museum. So the Lord is the one who's taking care of me. Now, Rupa Goswami explains that these two words, shraddha, which we all are familiar with, that means faith, and vishvasa, they actually, you could say they're synonyms, they have the same meaning, but they have different shades of meaning. They don't mean exactly the same thing. So here, vishvasa is the practice. Again, we're looking here at sakya as a practice, as part of sadhana bhakti. The practice for bringing about faith and also, what happens when you have faith? So it's the process for getting faith, and it's the result 
of faith. You can explain any of our processes of bhakti like that. They're the means for developing love for Krishna, and they're also expressions of love already developed. All right, so what is this vishvasa? It very much reminds us of Bhagavad Gita 529. When we say, Suridam, rid means heart, su means very dear. So Prabhupada talks about how this surid, such a dear friend. The, again, Prabhupada translating it, benefactor and well-wisher. Of course, Srila Prabhupada signed his letters, your ever-well-wisher. So to see that Krishna is this kind of friend, that Krishna is always my well-wisher. Now, of course, to think like that requires some faith. Because bad things happen to us in our life, and when they do, we may have some doubt. Is Krishna really my well-wisher? Is Krishna really my benefactor? We may lose money, we may get some disease, some person may cheat us, or, or leave us, or desert us, or somebody may speak lies about us. I mean, you know, we may be doing something that's a failure, we're embarrassed, and so many things that can happen. And we may think, is Krishna really my well-wisher? Is Krishna really my benefactor? Therefore, this is called a kind of faith. It's, it's an attitude that one develops. Yes, Krishna is really my benefactor. That means one has to think, one has to feel. Everything that happens to me is for the good. And everything that happens to me has this hand of a loving God behind it. So this is very nicely described in the Bhagavad Gita. So in the second chapter, 245, Krishna says, Nir Yoga Kshema Atmavam. Don't worry, Nir Yoga Kshema. Don't worry about what you have and don't worry about what you need and don't worry about protecting what you have. The way Prabhupada translates it is be free from all anxieties for gain and safety. So gain is what I don't yet have, this idea of yoga, something I, I need and I don't yet have. I don't have a good car, I don't have a good pair of shoes, I don't have the husband or wife I want to marry, I don't have the <coughs> occupation I want, I don't, whatever, I don't have. Hmm? I don't have the education I want, I don't have, what else could we not have that we would like? the right clothes, I don't know, whatever. I don't, something I don't have. And then shema, protection for what I already have, the shoes I already have, the friends I already have, the reputation I already have, the talents I already have. Near yoga shema, forget about that, Krishna says. Atmavan, be established, Prabhupada translates it, in the self. So how does one do that? That's given in the second chapter. And then in the ninth chapter, Krishna uses the same words, yoga kshema. He says, yoga kshema vaham yaham. I will protect what you have, and I will carry what you lack. Now, of course, this doesn't necessarily mean your shoes. Yes? Like they have this shirt, I lost my heart in Vrindavan, then there's another one, I lost my shoes in Vrindavan. 
lost my glasses to the monkeys or something like that. So when Krishna says yoga kshem avaham yaham, it's not exactly in that sense. After all, every one of us here, I hate to break this news to you, but all of us here, we're going to lose this body we're walking around in. We're going to lose it, and we're going to lose everything connected with this body. If you have a, a, your own little house, or maybe you have a flat, or maybe you only have a room, or maybe you only have part of a room, or maybe you just have a little box. Uh, you were telling me for initiating it to courtesy, so many people in one room. So I was saying how when I joined ISKCON, there were 12 of us in a room, and you know we just had our possessions in a little box. You know those plastic boxes they put milk bottles in? They have them here too? Milk crates? No, not this big. Put a few jugs of milk in them. So each of us had our own little box like that to keep our things. So whatever you have, whether it's just a little box or whether you have a grand home, whether you have just your own two feet or a bicycle or a car, uh, that will all be gone. That will all be gone. Not only that, but even our relationships, this idea this person is my husband, this person is my friend, this person is my whatever, that will also be gone. So when we say yoga shame of aham yaham, it doesn't mean Krishna is going to keep all that. So there are some Christian groups that have this idea that at death we all pop out of the ground and we have our own same family in heaven. Like the Mormons, when they get married, they say it's an eternal marriage. And whenever I hear that, I think, maybe you don't want to be eternally married to this person. I, I, I thought that everybody would want to be eternally married to their spouse. Sorry. But, you know, they have this idea, right? That you're just going to be with your family. I mean, I've spoken to many Christians who have this idea that heaven means there I am, I have my perfect home and the same husband, wife, and children and uncle and aunt and cousins. Again, my question to them is always, suppose you don't like one of your uncles, you know, do you really have to be with them eternally? They said, oh, well, you will like them or something, something like that. <laughs> but Krishna does take all that away. So what do we mean? by yoga kshema vaham yaham. And what do we mean that the devotee who's established in atmavan, in the self, and of course the param atma, near yoga kshema, doesn't worry. So this is this idea of Krishna is my friend, that Krishna is always going to give me whatever I need. Just like parents with their children. So you're here with your daughter. You always give her what she needs, yes? As far as you can. But that changes over time, doesn't it? So what you gave her when she was two is different from what you give her now. And sometimes you may take things away in order to actually give her what she needs. All right, now you need to go to sleep. Let me take your toys away. They're distracting you from sleeping. So it's explained with Arjuna that at the end of his time on this earth that Krishna took away all of his powers. And Prabhupada explains that he didn't need those powers anymore because he wasn't going to rule the kingdom anymore. We talk about this a little bit also tomorrow in the Bhagavatam verse. And Prabhupada says he didn't need those powers to go back to home, back to Godhead, and that was his only remaining business. So sometimes Krishna takes care of our needs by taking something away. The real needs that Krishna is taking care of, the real things he's preserving and supplying are what we need or things like peace, happiness, friendship, meaning, security, 
So Krishna is always going to give the devotee security. He may not always give it exactly in the way we think that we would like it. Krishna will always give us peace and he'll always give us love and meaning and, and, and all these things. Freedom, Prabhupada says, the real need of the soul is freedom. So Krishna will always give the devotees everything they need. He may give it in different forms at different times. Sometimes he will supply what you need by taking something away. Exactly, exactly. Like the doctor may take away something that you're eating in order to give you good health. Or you may take away a toy from your child so that they can sleep. So you're actually facilitating their needs. Or one devotee was working with me on a project and I didn't hear from him for a couple days and he said, my wife hid my keyboard and my mouse so I could get my exercises done, get my health together. So again, you may take away something that someone has in order to give them what they need. So the devotee has this faith, yogic shame of ahamyaham, that Krishna is providing everything I need. He's protecting at whatever I already have, he's protecting whatever I don't yet have, he's supplying. Therefore, near yogic shame atpavan. I don't have to worry about it. So this is part of this practice, this sadhana of this anga of bhakti, is this practice. Krishna is meeting all of my needs. Krishna is meeting all of my needs. To practice having that mentality. Now, does that mean that you don't do anything in the world? Well, Krishna is meeting all my needs. Well, it could. There's that python living devotee that Prahlad Maharaj met who just lay down in the forest with his mouth open, whatever food came, came. And there's Srivas Thakur who said he had a one, two, three policy. You know that? Because Mahaprabhu said to him, Why, you don't have a job. How do you maintain your large family? He said, well, if one day food doesn't come, we fast. Two days food doesn't come, we fast. Three days food don't, doesn't come, I jump in the Ganga. Lord Chaitanya said, the goddess of fortune may go around with a begging bowl, but I guarantee you will always have something to eat. Uh, so maybe some devotees do that, but generally the devotees engage in honest labor according to their varna, according to their ashram, as Krishna says to Arjuna, one cannot even maintain his physical body without work. So the devotee does some service and trusts that Krishna is going to supply So this is another aspect of faith. Another aspect of faith is this confidence that Rupa Goswami talks about in the Nectar of Instruction, that if I just follow this process of bhakti yoga, I will achieve all success in Krishna consciousness. I don't have to do bhakti and, we talked about that briefly this morning, I don't have to do bhakti and some other process in order to become perfect. I can achieve perfection holy and solely through bhakti. So this is also part of the process of seeing that Krishna is my friend. Krishna is my friend. If I simply, if I simply devote myself to him and I simply follow this process, he will give me everything that I need materially and he will give me everything that I need spiritually. This picture is at Govardhan Hill. So an example of this is Draupadi. I hear you see Draupadi with Yudhisthira on the throne and the other Pandava brothers. So Draupadi says, Oh Govinda, remembering again and again your promise that your devotee will never perish, I maintain my life. 
in all kinds of tribulations, I simply remember your promise, and thus I live. So this is also part of the sadhana of seeing that Krishna is my friend. And there will be tribulations. If there's tribulations for the Pandavas, then certainly there will be tribulations for me. And Prabhupada talks about this, that we cannot expect that a while I become a devotee, now there'll be no tribulations. But in any tribulation, in any difficulty, to remember, Krishna promises to protect his devotee. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean from the external perspective. Again, if we think about parents, that parents send their children to school and the children have to work hard and take exams, and that's a lot of trouble. And the little child may think, why are my parents making me take trouble? Why don't they let me play all day? But that is, again, part of the parents being the benefactor of the child. So Krishna gives us tribulations for a variety of reasons, which I don't think we have time to get into today. But we could say briefly, basically, to give us what we really want. Exactly like, you know, if you want to become a medical doctor, you have to go to school and you have to study and you have to take so many exams. So why is the university putting you through such trouble? Why don't they just say, oh, you want to be a medical doctor? Here you go. Here's the knife. Have fun. Because without proper training, you won't be able to be a medical doctor. You just cause havoc for yourself and others. So when we come to Krishna and say, Krishna, I want to be a pure devotee. I want to love you. I want to become self-realized. I want to become enlightened. Then Krishna says, okay, this is the process. And that process involves some difficulty, some austerity. Prabhupada said, if any... So if anyone says, here is a genuine spiritual process, but there's no austerity, you can understand they must be cheating you. It's just like if we said, you can get a medical degree, but there's no austerity, there's no work, there's no sacrifice, and they're cheating. Just pay me 100 euros, we'll give you the certificate. So the medical college, it's helping you, the student, get what you really want. So Krishna, even through these tribulations, he's actually helping us get what we want, which is closer to him, which is coming to actual realization. Right, so this is another aspect of this kind of friendship, that Krishna is my friend. And this is the attitude that Krishna's lotus feet are my life and soul. Krishna is my only shelter. Not only that Krishna is preserving what I have and carrying what I lack, but he's my only shelter. I don't seek shelter anyplace else. Again, it's not Krishna and. It's not Krishna is my shelter, but my husband's also my shelter. My town president's also my shelter. My government's also my shelter. Krishna is my only shelter. I don't have any other shelter. In a practical way, obviously, we rely on the government for their police force and their cleaning of the roads, and you rely that your husband's going to fix the blender in your kitchen or something like that. But we never think that anyone or anything other than Krishna is actually going to satisfy my needs. As soon as we think this other jiva or this thing is going to satisfy my needs, 
That is illusion. And we will suffer. That was a very nice letter Prabhupada wrote to one of my god sisters. He said, the wife naturally, she's attached to the husband and she should please him in all respect, but her mood is, I am only trying to please Krishna. This is a little subtle shift in consciousness that has a huge effect in peacefulness. So if one's thinking, yes, I want to treat others nicely with respect, with consideration, so Krishna will be pleased. I'm serving my husband not because my husband is my shelter, but so Krishna will be pleased. Right? Lord Kapiladev says any woman who thinks her husband is her shelter, then the husband is the call to her death, just like the hunter calls the deer to his death. So I'll take nice care of my wife, but she's not my shelter. I'm taking nice care of her so Krishna will be pleased. I'm serving my authorities in ISKCON, not because they're my shelter. Not because I'm thinking, well, if I serve them, then they'll take care of me. But so Krishna will be pleased. And if one has that mentality, then one is not disturbed by the ups and downs of life. Anyway, that is the mentality that one cultivates to do this anga of bhakti, that Krishna is my friend. And someone with this mood, they say, I will not give up Krishna as my shelter. I will not give up Krishna's lotus feet, even for great material opulence. Even if I could become a demigod. So when you're under Krishna's shelter, he may not always give you exactly what you want. huh? So you might think someone else comes along and says, oh, you leave this Krishna. Look at you, you're just living in a corner of the ashram with just your stuff in a little box. And you gave the last 10 years and nobody even appreciates you. Come, come, come to my shelter. You can become a demigod, you can become, but no. No, this anga bhakti, this friendship is no. I am going to stay at, with Krishna as my friend because Krishna is the only one who can actually be my benefactor. No matter how Krishna treats me from my material perspective, I always see him as my shelter. Okay, so this visvasa aspect of this anga of bhakti is the Lord is my benefactor and my friend. He is the only one who is protecting and maintaining me. I get my solace not from anything else. I may have to take some medicine when I'm sick, I may have to see the doctor, I may be grateful for my friends in this world, but my only solace is in Krishna's offer of protection. And I will not give up his shelter and go anyplace else, no matter what. So this is the first aspect of this practice. And this is a mentality that one can deliberately practice. It is a sadhana. Okay, now we're going to look at the other aspect of the sadhana of sakya, and that is mitra. So in mitra, the mood is, I am Krishna's friend. So vishvasa, Krishna is my friend. Mitra, I am Krishna's friend. Prabhupada says that this is to become a well-wisher of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And how? 
Prabhupada said, anyone who's preaching the confidential message of the Gita, just like Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, anyone who teaches this message, he is most dear to me. So this, of course, is through book distribution, through general preaching, any time that we're helping other living entities. So why does this make us the friend of Krishna? What does a friend do for a friend? So Vishvasa is what Krishna is doing for me. Mitra is what I'm doing for Krishna. How does having this attitude mean that I'm Krishna's friend? What does a friend do for a friend? Help them to get what they need. What they, like we're talking about how Krishna was, is supplying everything we need. Well, what does Krishna need? Loving he needs loving exchanges. And Krishna very much needs, wants, not needs in the sense that he's lacking everything. Om pranamada pranamida, he's complete. He's atmarama and aptakama. He doesn't need loving relationships like a conditioned soul thinks they need them. But Krishna very much desires that all living entities are situated in their eternal position. Why? They experience the thousands of bliss in their position. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who will experience bliss? Both the living entity and Krishna. Both the living entity and Krishna. So Krishna's need is to see to the happiness of his parts and parcels. When you have a friend, don't you feel that you need to see that they're happy? You need to contribute to their happiness? Isn't that what friendship means? So Krishna wants to contribute to the happiness of his parts and parcels. And the only way for them to be happy is to be reestablished in their eternal relationship. So anyone who facilitates that is Krishna's very dear friend. Let's say that you had somebody who had a broken relationship with you, but you wanted that relationship to be healed, and somebody facilitated that, wouldn't that person be your friend? So this is the role of the preacher. Now the example of one of Krishna's friends is the clouds. Megasurudam. It's from Bhagavatam 10.35. Suridam, the same word of Krishna to the living entity. The Krishna is the surit of the living entity. The clouds are considered the same, also the surit of Krishna. And Prabhupada gives the reason, is that one reason is that the cloud and Krishna having the same bodily color are considered to be friends. So that's interesting. We generally consider people our friend if they have something in common with us. So I remember being very aware of this after traveling in China for 10 days. And the only person who spoke English was my translator. No one else even was able to say hello. <laughs> Nothing. Not a word. So then when I was in the airport, I was in one queue, and I heard some people speaking English, and not only English, but American English. Not only American English, but American English from the northeastern part of America, which is where I grew up. I was like, wow, somebody's speaking English with the same accent as me. And I immediately felt this sense of kinship with them. It's quite interesting. And I said, oh, are you from America? And they immediately felt connected with me. 
And I've seen this also when traveling, if you're on the same airplane with somebody, even if you never talk to them at all. When you get off the plane, there's some feeling of kinship with these people. It's quite odd. Like if nobody comes to pick you up at the airport and you need to borrow someone's phone to make a call, if you ask someone who was on the same plane with you, they're more likely to give you the phone. Why? You never even talked, you had nothing to do with them. You just happened to be in the same piece of metal floating in the sky for a few hours. But as soon as we think someone's like me, I remember when I first went to Russia and I told the devotees that my ancestors came from Russia, everybody started cheering. So we have a natural sense that if someone's similar to me in some way, that they're my friend. So this comes, of course, originally because we are also one with Krishna, chintabedabedatattva. We also have some oneness with Krishna. But it's interesting that Prabhupada says the clouds are considered to be Krishna's friend because they're of the same color. But of course, the other reason that Krishna and the cloud are both friends goes back to what we were originally talking about. And that is that the cloud gives people mercy, gives them what they need. When they're suffering from heat, the clouds supply them with rain and cool them. Of course, the clouds give water that produces all of the food that we eat. And similarly, similarly, Krishna is giving the living entities relief from the blazing fire of material life. So, of course, this is, we sing this every morning in the Guru Vastaka, right? Samsara dava nalavita loka So this blazing fire of material life, it's like a big forest fire, like you had your barn fire today. This is very appropriate. So if you have some blazing fire, and you can have a big forest fire, cannot be put out by anything else. But the raging forest fire only can be put out by the cloud. So this cloud is compared to the mercy of the spiritual master. The spiritual master is actually bringing the mercy of Krishna. We're saying the cloud gets mercy from the ocean and then distributes that to the people and extinguishes their material life. And we think, well, what does that have to do with me? But Srila Prabhupada is telling us over and over again, all of us are to take this role. Everyone is supposed to go everywhere and anywhere to preach the instructions of Krishna. So that is also how we become Krishna's friend. We become Krishna's friend by bringing Krishna to others, by acting like this cloud, having the same mood as Krishna, where we give the pleasing rain to put out the fire of material life. Now, not as some kind of self-righteous, you know, I know more than you, let me give you religion. (laughs) Not like that. But like a cloud pouring rain to put out the fire. And there's another way that the cloud is Krishna's friend. That, uh, now it's, it's interesting the way I have it here is how Krishna, how Shri Prabhupada says it on the dictation tape, and somehow it's not transcribed properly in Krishna book, although this also is the way it is in Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's commentary. In Krishna book it just says the cloud sent flowers, a flower umbrella, but Prabhupada very clearly says flower like snow. 
Krishna Chakravarti Thakur says little pieces of ice. So the cloud saw, oh, Krishna's hot. Let me create an umbrella out of flower-like snow. Do you like my, my flower-like snow umbrella that I created? In there? I'm not very expert at this sort of thing. Tried to create a snow umbrella to protect him from the sun sign. So this is also how one can be Krishna's friend. So one can be Krishna's friend by delivering to him by having the same attitude as Krishna, like the cloud has the same color as Krishna, by bringing to Krishna the living entities, by putting out the living entities' fire of conditioned life with the rain of Krishna consciousness, and then directly to Krishna. How to relieve Krishna's distress. So just like when one's taking care of the deity, one is thinking, Krishna's hungry. Krishna's hot, let me fan him. Krishna's hungry, let me feed him. Krishna's had a long journey, let me give him a bath. What would Krishna like? One of my former students is telling me how when she puts her deities to bed every night, she reads them stories from the Shastra. So that's being Krishna's friend. That's this mood. I am Krishna's friend. What does he need? Just like we do with our friends. How can I, how can I give him something that will help him with what he needs? All right, this is another category now of Mitra. Uh, this is where the devotee feels so much like Krishna's friend that they may become very intimate. They may see Krishna in a human-like way. I mean, after all, if you're thinking, oh, Krishna's hot, he needs to be fanned. Krishna's hungry, he needs to eat. Then you're thinking of him like another human, isn't it? Right? One devotee recently said to me, oh, I know when I take care of the cows, I have to feed them or else they'll die, but when I take care of the deity, I don't feel like that. So that's not, she said, she does some deity worship, and she also takes care of cows. And so she said, when I'm taking care of the cows, I think, oh, I have to feed them, otherwise they'll die. When I take care of Krishna, she said, I don't think like that. So I was thinking, oh, that's not very good. One should actually be thinking like that. Uh, Prabhupada said one should not see the deity worship as a burden. Now, of course, if one gets very much in that mood, then one may not even follow all the rules. Like here, it's explained that one may even lie down in the temple. Generally, you don't do that. But if someone really has this mood that Krishna is my friend, they may do that. And Rupa Goswami explains uh, that this lying down in the temple, this is still a sadhana. This is still sadhana. But he would classify this under Raganuga Sadhana because you're not, in this case, you're so much thinking Krishna is my friend that you're not following the rules. However, Rupa Goswami says, this feeling of attraction that I am Krishna's friend can be both in Raganuga and Vaidhi Sadhana. So the summary of Mitra is I am the well wisher of the Lord, I want to be like him like the cloud is the color of Krishna. I want to help others in their distress. And I want to make sure, because, because I am Krishna's friend, that he has no trouble and no inconvenience. And at a, at a higher level, generally in Raganuga Sadhana, one will want to see Krishna as one's friend informally. So everything we've discussed so far, Vishvasa and Mitra. Vishvasa is, how would you summarize Vishvasa? Krishna is the benefactor. 
Krishna is the benefactor. Krishna is my friend. And Mitra, how would you summarize that? I am Krishna's friend. I am Krishna's benefactor. So that, those, those aspects of Sakya are in Sadhana Bhakti, and that's for everybody. It doesn't matter what your <coughs> eternal rasa is. Those are practices of bhakti. Those are a way of invoking our eternal rasa. Now we're going to look at another kind of friendship, and this kind of friendship is a particular humor or a particular staibhav that a certain devotees have with Krishna, and some devotees have with Krishna and others do not. So the nine processes of bhakti as practice can be done by anyone regardless of their rasa. So even if you are eternally Krishna's servant, you can still have this mood, Krishna is my benefactor, he is, he is yogakshema vaham yaham, and let me help and be, preach, and be a preacher. You understand? It's not that only people who are cowherd boys can be preachers. Is that, is that clear? And it's not that only people who are cowherd boys can think Krishna is taking care of me. That's for everybody. And, that's, and that also doesn't require that one be on the platform of realizing one's eternal position. But the kind of friendship we're going to talk about now, we're going to talk about briefly, is the, friend, the particular rasa where one understands that the Lord is my friend rather than my master or rather than my son or rather than my husband or lover. So Rupa Goswami says, I offer my respects to the friends of Krishna who serve him with deep trust, without restriction, without fear, while thinking that he is their equal. And Rupa Goswami says, there's two kinds of friends, those in the city and those in Raja. You like the city? <laughs> Try to get a picture of Dwarka, you know. Okay, so here are the city friends. Here you see the five Pandavas with Kunti and Draupadi. So the Pandavas and Draupadi, also Sudama Brahmana, they're some of Krishna's friends in the city. Now, of course, in Vaikuntha, there's uh, really not much friendship. There's just awe and reverence and service. But in Dwarka and Mathura, uh, there's also this mood of friendship. And it's explained, sometimes people think that, the, that Raganuga Bhakti is only in Vrindavan, but very clearly in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Nectar Devotions explained that some of the residents of Dwarka and Mathura are in Vaidhi Bhakti, in awe and reverence, and some are in Raganuga Bhakti. But in any case, there are certainly some friends, and some of the friends in the city are the Pandavas, and Draupadi is also a friend. Then Krishna's friends in Vraja, now Rupa Goswami goes to great explanation, which I'm, I'm not going through here, this is just a summary of Krishna's friends in Vraja, which Prabhupada also explains in the Nectar Devotion. And basically, there's three main categories of friends. Some are a little older, and they feel that they're protecting Krishna. They have a little of this parental ras mixed in. Some are a little younger, and they feel more that they're serving Krishna. They have some of the dasiras mixed in. And then there are some just friends. So some of them are intimate, and they're usually a little bit younger than Krishna. And then some that are the same age that are very, very intimate. 
And then, of course, there's subcategories and subcategories and subcategories. Each of Krishna's friends ultimately has their own particular individual relationship with Krishna. So how does Krishna feel about his friends? So Krishna said to Balara, my dear brother, when my companions were being devoured by the Agasura, hot tears poured down from my eyes. And as they were washing my cheeks, my dear elder brother, for at least one moment I completely forgot myself. So this is the intense love and attachment that Krishna feels for his friends. Oh, my friends are in danger. What will I do? What will I do? How will I save my friends? Is there anything I can do for them? Just like we feel when our friends are in danger also. And how do Krishna's friends feel about him? They say, you have spent seven nights standing constantly without sleep, holding up Govardhan. You must be very tired. Oh, my friend Krishna, throw the mountain onto Sri Dhamma's hand. Our minds are very disturbed seeing you in this condition. Or at least place the mountain in your right hand. Then we will be able to massage your left hand. So you can see this general mood in sadhana bhakti. Oh, Krishna must be hot. Krishna must be hungry. Those who have this saibhav of friendship, they're always thinking, how can I do this for Krishna? How can I do that for Krishna? And here we have one of the city friends, Arjuna. So how did he feel about Krishna? Uh, when he saw that Asvatthama was releasing various kinds of arrows, this is from Nectar Devotion, to hurt Krishna, he immediately stood in front of Krishna to intercept them. At that time, although Arjuna was being pierced by the arrows, uh, the arrows seemed to him just like flowers because he was feeling so happy. Oh, I'm protecting my friend. Hmm? So how do these devotees who are in friendship, how, what inspires them to friendship? Their inspirations, this is of course Vibhav. Their inspirations come from Krishna as the uh, Vishaya from the other devotees who are in friendship as the ashraya and udipans are Krishna's age, Krishna's beauty, his bugle, his flute, his conch shell, and his pleasing attitude. So all of these inspire the devotees in Sakyaras with their feelings of friendship for Krishna. So here's Krishna's country friends and a city friend. So I hope you enjoyed this meditation and friendship. So does anybody have any questions or comments or additions, subtractions? Yes. You said only Krishna's our shelter, but isn't the spiritual master all our shelter also? Not in the same way, no. Not in the same way. Just like The spiritual master is under an obligation in some circumstances to reject the disciple. Yes? Yes. In fact, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says that in some circumstances, if the guru doesn't reject the disciple, both the guru and the disciple will go to hell. And in some circumstances, the guru is supposed to even publicly reject the disciple. Do you think Krishna ever rejects the Jeevan? So different. And the guru is not akila rasamurti. You're not going to find in another jiva all of your needs met. 
You can't be the conjugal lover of your guru. It's not, it's not like that. Guru is the shelter and that he's giving you to your shelter. So let's say it's, it's pouring rain out and you can't see anything and somebody's taking you to a place where there's a shelter. So the person who's taking you to the place where there's a shelter, they're also a shelter. Does that make sense? But they're not the shelter. They're taking you to the shelter. There was a, one lecture where Prabhupada says, talking about how Krishna is your best friend. And he says that if any guru says, I'm your best friend, then he's a fool. That the bona fide guru says, Krishna is your best friend. Now, if somebody introduces you to your best friend, then they're also your best friend in a sense. Yes? Therefore, the devotees are also ashraya. So for all of the rasas, the devotees are inspired in their rasa, not only by Krishna as the vishaya, but also by the other devotees as the ashraya, as the shelter of that rasa. But only Krishna is the supreme enjoyer, and only Krishna is the shelter, and only Krishna is the supreme fan, and only Krishna is the benefactor. Does that make sense? So one treats the guru with the same respect as God, but not, you know, can't treat the guru like God. Exactly. So if you realize that Krishna is your son, you're going to make your guru your son? Do you follow? Do you understand? If you realize that Krishna is your lover, you're going to make your guru your lover? That would be very improper. But we see the devotion of, say, Narottama Das Thakur to Rupa Manjari. It's quite interesting. His leader, Rupa Manjari, he's saying, the result of all of my tapasya, all of my japa, all of everything, is to attain the feet of Rupa Manjari. But still there is a difference. You cannot say that the guru is God. Does that make sense? In the early days of the movement, there were four devotees who were preaching that Prabhupada was God and Prabhupada threw them out of his school. I think they're the only people Prabhupada threw out of his school. Of course, later they came back. As soon as you think, my guru is going to meet all of my needs, the relationship you have will be very odd, and you will be uh, devastated in time. When one day you wake up and you realize my guru is not God. One can see God through the guru. Actually, Prabhupada said, Guru is not a particular man, Guru is a truth. Anything else? Yes. I'm sorry if I missed the point, but uh, so is it determined? 
determined which kind of friendship I have with Krishna, and I just don't know right now. What kind of friendship? What do you mean? So, so is it determined that I'll be a friend in the city or a friend in the village or a friend of the city, and I just don't know it? Mm. Okay. And, uh, so, or, or do I well, there's uh, two main categories we're looking at in friendship. One is friendship as one of the angas of sadhana bhakti, of practice bhakti. So that's for everybody. Everybody can see Krishna is my benefactor, Krishna is my best friend, Krishna is taking care of me. The other part of that is I'm Krishna's friend. Prabhupada talks about how preaching is in that mood that our impetus for preaching is I want to serve Krishna as a friend. Then the other kind of friendship is not a sadhana, it's not, it's not a practice of bhakti to become awakened. It's a particular eternal relationship. So in that eternal relationship, not all of us are going to be in this humor of friendship. So some of us will be in the humor of servants, some as friends, some as parents, and some as beloveds. And that humor that we have is eternal. And when one, when one becomes awakened in one's practice, one starts to realize, oh, this is how I want to serve Krishna eternally. Does that answer your question? I think he Yes, they are fixed. And they're not determined by somebody else against our will. Prabhupada will often use the, you know, the, the, the word desire. We serve Krishna as we desire. So it may be difficult for us to think of having an eternal desire. an eternal choice. We tend to think, well, at this minute I didn't make the choice, and then this minute I made the choice. But our particular Stai Bob is an eternal choice. Of course, there are also living entities that have more than one relationship. Some have a particular relationship with Lord Chaitanya, another relationship with Lord Ramachandra, another relationship with Krishna all at the same time. It's not like our material situations, because each of us has this particular body according to our own desires also. But, you know, it's like kind of you order something and then when you get it you say, ooh, it's not really what I wanted. Right? Have you ever purchased something and then you got it home and you said, oh, it's not what I wanted? So these bodies, material bodies are like that. We got these bodies according to our desires and our karma. But once we get them we say, oh... Not really what I wanted. Yes? So our eternal form is not like that. It's not that you're going to sit down and think, well, would I like to be a cowherd boy or would I like to be Krishna's friend? And this, I think I want to do this. And then you get it and you go, oh, it's not what I wanted. Ah, I think I'll try something else. That's what we've been doing for billions of years in the material world. But the process of awakening to your eternal form is a process of discovering who you really are, really, really are, and who you really, really want to be. It's coming to, who, to the real you and your deepest, deepest choices and desires. It's not something that's being put on you by somebody else. 
Anything else? Yes, Thank you very much for the wonderful presentation. Um, could you please uh, explain the uh, distinction between um, Raghunuga Sadhana Bhakti and just the general categorization of Just Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti. Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti and, and, and Raghunuga Bhakti and then why um, lying down in the temple is seen as... As Raghunuga rather than Vaidhi. Yeah. Okay. So both Raghunuga Sadhana Bhakti and Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti are sadhana. They are both a practice. That means they involve something that's deliberate and repetitive. Another word for practice is abhyasa. Krishna uses the word abhyasa yoga. It's actually used several times. Abhyasa literally means to repeat. So it's something you're intentionally repeating. But vaidhi is according to the... You're, you're doing something according to the rules because it's the rules. And Raghunuga, you're, you're doing something according to your heart because it's your heart. You could say one's heart and one's head. They're, they're, the impetus is coming from a different place. So the impetus for Vaidhi is, my spiritual master told me, the Shastra told me, that if I chant Hare Krishna, I will realize God. And I, I'm convinced of that, and therefore I chant Hare Krishna. Raghunuga Bhakti, you've started to wake up, Spiritually, you've started to realize, oh, I am Krishna's friend, or I am Krishna's gopi, or I am Krishna's father, or I am Krishna's cow. And you start chanting Hare Krishna because you want to realize more of who you are, rather than because it says so in the Shastra, and because Srila Prabhupada says so, and the Acharya says so. Your, your reason for doing it is different. And your reason for doing it is different because you've started to have this awakening. You cannot artificially do that. You can't artificially say, I mean, you can, but that's not proper. You can do anything you want. But as far as if you're going to talk about what is bhakti, so Raghunuga bhakti has to, there's two qualifications for starting Raghunuga bhakti. One is that you have to have started to have an awakening of who you are. It will not be complete because it becomes complete by Raghunuga Sadhana. But it starts to awaken. And how does that happen? That's different for different people. How do you know it happens? If it happens, you know. It's like saying, how do you know you've fallen in love with somebody? You know. You know. If, you have, if you have a genuine awakening of a particular feeling for Krishna, it's, it's something that you're aware of. It's not theoretical. It's not like you read the books and you say, well, I, I think I'd like to be Krishna's father because that sounds really nice and something like that. It's a, it's a spontaneous feeling that begins to awaken. So that's the first qualification. The other qualification is that you have to be basically finished with the anartas. You have to be at the platform of steadiness. That doesn't mean all the anartas are gone, 50 75%. At least the four regulated principles have to be like breathing. If, if you're struggling with, with the regulated principles, there, there's no question of starting rather than the bhakti. So. It, it has to, practice of the four regulated principles has to be just automatic, that you're practically not even aware that you're doing it. It's just so much part of your life. And, and some of the other main anartas have to be decreasing. Why do you have to be... Uh, 
uh, past in Arjunavritti because the practice of Raganuga involves some deep internal meditation. And if there's still a lot of anarchas, you will not have the mental peace to be able to do that kind of meditation. It just, you just won't, you won't be able to do it. Also, frankly, without most of the anarchas clearing, you will also not be able to have a genuine awakening. Although Krishna can do anything and he can wake up somebody in any situation, I mean, he's not restricted. But generally speaking, until a, a lot of the anarchas are cleared, you can't see yourself honestly. You can't start to see yourself honestly. So if somebody's doing all kinds of nonsense and they say they've had an awakening, uh, they probably haven't. Because generally that's not possible. So in Raganuga Sadhana, one is still doing the, ex- the, the same nine angas of bhakti, but what's motivating you is different. You're motivated to establish a specific relationship with Krishna. So in Vaidhi Bhakti, you're just thinking, I want to become a pure devotee. I want to become Krishna's servant. I want to go back to Godhead. It's very general. And then in Raganuga, it's much more specific. Oh, I'm not just I want to become a pure devotee. I want to become the perfect mother of Krishna. I want to become the perfect servant of Krishna. I want to become the perfect lover of Krishna. And as that matures, one starts to realize that one likes the mood of a particular associate of Krishna. So one will not just be, oh, I'd like to be Krishna's friend, but oh, I'd like to be Krishna's friend the way Madhu Mangal is, or I'd like to be Krishna's friend, just like Prabhupada talked about these four categories. So you might say, oh, I'd like to be Krishna's friend like this, or I'd like to be Krishna's friend like that person. And one starts meditating not only on Krishna in that mood, but on the service of that particular devotee. So in Vaidhi Bhakti, you're not doing that. In Vaidhi Bhakti, you're, you think about all the devotees, but you're not particularly focused on one devotee like that. And if you did it artificially, it wouldn't be very meaningful. And as one progresses in Raganuga Bhakti, one is so absorbed in establishing that relationship with Krishna that one sometimes forgets the formal rules. And therefore, one might lie down in the temple thinking, oh, I'm hanging out here with my friend. And you might just forget, oh, you're not supposed to do that in the temple. Just like if you have a very close relationship with somebody, you may forget certain formalities. That's one of the evidences that you have a very close relationship with somebody, that you forget the formalities. So therefore, lying down in the temple is considered to be something that somebody would do. Just It's not that they think, I'm going to lie down in the temple because I'm so intimate with Krishna. No, they're just in so much in this mood of intimacy with Krishna that they forget that there's some kind of formality. It's just exactly like how you are with your close friends and family members. You know, when the the head of the country is with his family members, they're not remembering he's the head of the country. Is that clear? And eventually, of course, it's no longer a practice. So at the higher levels of bhakti, there's no longer sadhana, bhava bhakti, uh, then it's perfection, when it's not practicing anymore. Now it is entirely possible for somebody never to have raganuga bhakti, but to go from Vaidhi Sadhana to Bhava. Uh, those people then, their perfection uh, there is not going to be in Vrindavan. 
Their perfection will be in Vaikuntha, or their perfection may be in, in Dwarka or Mathura. Where persons are pure devotees, but their mood is still, what are the rules? So we see this in Brihad Bhagavatamrita when Gopakumar goes to Vaikuntha and he's talking to Lord Vishnu and he's saying, Hey Gopal, oh my dear cowherd boy, and he goes to run and to hug him. And the residents of Vaikuntha don't like this very much. And they say, You can't treat the Lord like this. That's not the rules. You can't call him Gopal. You can't just go run up to him and hug him. What are you doing? So they're pure devotees. They don't have any material contamination. But they're not Ragatmika devotees. They're Vaidhi devotees. They have some feeling of, okay, Krishna's God, and I have to treat him in a certain way. So some of the residents in Dwarka and Mathura are also like that. So if one is going to enter into Vrindavan or some parts of Mathura or Dwarka, then generally, uh, at some point in one sadhana, one switches to Raganuga sadhana. Is it possible to only do Vaidhi sadhana and attain to Raganuga bhava? It's possible, but very unlikely. Uh, Rupa Goswami says that may happen out of some sort of, of mercy. That one just does Vaidhi sadhana, Vaidhi sadhana, and then one awakens at bhava. Generally, one awakens before bhava, and then one practices a Raganuga sadhana. The essence of which is that. What's motivating one is different, and while one's doing one's processes of bhakti, one is internally meditating on that relationship with Krishna and on that particular devotee that inspires that particular flavor of that relationship. Does that answer your question? Is that clear? Okay. Yes? Um, uh... Lord Chaitanya here expresses this mood of always crying for Krishna. Mm. Well, not always, but often. But, uh, there, I'm sorry, I haven't read anything. <laughs> no, 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 it's well, okay. So, I'm sorry, but my mind is speculating. But, uh, so, yes, he often cries for Krishna. And uh, my question is, and as far as I know, it's because of that mood of separation. Yes. So, uh, do you have, first have that mood of separation, and then you develop that self-realization of Raganuga Bhakti, or is it the other way around? Um, yeah. Raganuga Bhakti will start to awake. It's, it's when you get a spontaneous awakening. Mm-hmm. Okay. As far as serving in separation, Prabhupada urged all of us to feel separation from Krishna. That is certainly part of our process of coming to Raganuga Bhakti and is part of the process of Raganuga Bhakti that we should all feel that we're missing Krishna, that we'd like to see him, rather than just casual. Oh, here I am. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. It should be like, Prabhupada said, like the child crying for the mother. So the little baby can't, the little tiny baby can't move. The little tiny baby's left in the room and they wake up and where's mommy? From their perspective, mommy might be in another universe until the baby can crawl. They don't know that one room leads to another. And they're just crying for the mother. They're feeling, oh, I'm separated from my mommy. So that should be the mood. 
for all of us. We should try to cultivate that mood because that's the reality. The reality is that we're in dark illusion and we can't see Krishna and that should disturb us. It shouldn't be something just casual. Oh yeah, I'm separate from Krishna, I'm in Maya. Oh yeah, oh well, I'm in Maya. So we should try to cultivate that emotion. Bhakti is full of emotion. We should try to cultivate that emotion that I really want Krishna as much as possible. In Vaidhi Bhakti, it's going to be a general thing. I really want Krishna. He's wonderful. I want, again, I want to become a pure devotee. In Raghunuga Bhakti, it's going to be specific. I feel separate from my son, from my lover, from my friend, from my master. It's going to be of a very specific mood. And certainly, feeling that separation in Vaidhi Bhakti will certainly help one come faster to Raghunuga Bhakti, undoubtedly. Anytime we're doing our, our bhakti with some emotion, maya shakti with some attachment, and not mechanically. Okay. It's getting late. Anybody else? Something quick? Otherwise we'll end. Anybody else? Okay, thank you. How glorious to you.